With baseball season inching closer to becoming a reality, it's time to get back in the game and win big in 2022 with rotoballer.com. After securing 13 Fantasy Sports Writers Association Award nominations this year, there's no better site to get you locked in on the new season. Rotoballer's MLB Premium Pass package includes 15 exclusive tools, daily DFS cheat sheets, hitter projections, pitching planners, DFS value plays, research stations, our lineup optimizer, and so much more to help you win. You can also get access to our premium Slack channel where our award-nominated writers chat about some of our favorite DFS plays and weekly fab strategies. For a limited time, get your MLB Premium Pass for 50% off. Use my promo code SAMSKY for another 10% discount. It's a real win-win. Strike them out, throw them out. Just visit rotoballer.com radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another episode of the Catcher's Corner. I'm Eric Samolski, joined as always by my co-host Sammy Ackley. Sammy, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening? Good, man. I'm uh, I'm four legs into my tennis parlay, and it's looking pretty good. You know, it's been a pretty uh, busy ATP week. You know, this is literally just as an aside. Four tournaments in the lat in one week going on at the same time for the ATP tournaments never been done before in years. I'm like a little worried about you that you've got tennis parlays that cover an I, entire week that you're just sitting I and love, watching. Results. I love I love tennis, man. Like if it's not if it's not baseball or football, it's tennis. It's amazing. You can watch your Nets lose to the Knicks, though. That's also happening. Let's not uh, let's not jinx anything yet. There's been some movement, so I'm not That's gonna true. you know. It's true. They narrowed they narrowed the gap. Um, and we've got some guests on the show this evening because Sammy and I are going to dive into the relief pitcher market, and we just thought we'd throw that on somebody else because who really wants to do that? Um, we like, we like so, to watch suffer. Uh, I've been talking your ear off on this podcast the last couple of episodes about uh, the work at Reliever Recon, so we've got two guys from the Reliever Recon team joining us, Nate and Aaron. Gentlemen, what is up? Eric, are we on a tennis show? What the hell? Nate, what did we sign up for? <laughs> I don't know. I was just going to break out. Uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Connors, uh, famed tennis legend, grew up only 20 minutes away from me. And that's my. Uh, Beautiful. You bring up Jimmy Connors and you're bringing up the golden age of American men's tennis, which has been yes. in adults the last 20 years. So, you know. Very near and dear to my heart as a kid watching Jimmy Connors. When uh, the shorts were short and the tempers were shorter, it was a good time for uh, for tennis in the day. Good point. Um, so, so Nate and Aaron, before we dive into this, just uh, say hi to the people. Tell them uh, our, our loyal listeners and tell them where they can find your work before we dive in. Hey, people. Aaron Pags at Fancy Triage on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at patreon.com backslash reliever recon uh the greatest three dollars you'll ever spend because um no one wants to do the work for relief pitching throughout the fantasy baseball season so we're going to do it for you so come on over we've got a weekly podcast um and we've got greg jewett who of course is the godfather of closers so nate um what you got man i piggyback off of everything you just said uh you can find all my work uh, at Nate Markham on Twitter, at the Patreon backslash reliever recon, like you said. 
Um, you say it's the greatest $3. I say it's the best value of potentially $5 you could spend if you want to upgrade to the Reliever Plus, which I'm going to tell you, I didn't even know we had. I didn't know we were offering even more potential stuff. I don't know what's included. If it's just, it's like for $3, you get me and you, Aaron, and for five, you get Greg's work. So uh, spend the extra two bucks. And Eric, of course, yours as well. I, I, nobody can do your videos are, by the way, your video uh, I saw on stupid uh, Josh Allen. I say stupid Josh Allen because of our, our hated, you know, Buffalo KC thing. I I love Josh Allen. It was excellent work, by the way. Thank you. I enjoyed that. I appreciate that. You you liked it, and I was filled with a moment of sadness because I just remembered your tweets after Kansas City won, and not directed at me, just your general celebration, which you have every right to do. But it it just hurt. I was in a yeah. I was in a dark place after that game. I was in, I was in a dark place for about uh, forty five seconds, maybe a minute and a half, because. I had just turned it off and walked away, but this is not football. This is no, something not. that can cause just as enough in 13 seconds, enough misery <laughs> in the ninth inning. It, it's true. And, and we are going to dive into relievers and we're going to continue uh, the, the ADP discussion that Sammy and I have been um, diving into so far as we await pitchers and catchers reporting, which was supposed to happen this week. Um, but there is something I want to talk about Um one of the things that's obviously we're discussing as we're discussing the, the lockout and the negotiations in the lockout the last couple of days, it's centered around minor leagues um, and the rumor that um, the owners, Major League Baseball, are trying to get rid of um, some of the minor league uh, or lower, I guess, some of the, the roster limits on minor leagues, on minor leaguers. Um, and there was a good tweet stream today from Mark Appel, who was a former number one overall pick from Stanford who kind of broke down his thoughts um, as a career minor leaguer on uh, baseball's problems and and potential solutions. Um, And just to kind of give you the nuts and bolts, you can follow that first on Twitter at Mark Appel, A-P-P-E-L 26. Um, It's a really good tweet thread. So I'd recommend you go read through the whole thing. But the the keys that he kind of talks about are A, uh, the fact that minor leaguers have to play seven seasons before they become free agents. So they're kind of locked into these contracts. The fact that the contracts are not year round, um, they're only actually during the minor league season, but then obviously these minor leaguers spend their off season training to kind of get better and improve so they can uh, move up the ranks, but obviously they're not paid during that time. And then he also talks about housing um, and how minor leaguers have to be on kind of short-term leases or stay in hotels, but they can't all afford hotels. And the fact that those hotels, uh, sorry, minor leaguers usually change cities every three months. Um, So that's kind of the housing issue is a big issue for him. Then he also brought up food. Um, And so he he presented a couple solutions. And I'm just curious what you guys thought about his tweet thread, what you thought about um, these negotiations so far as centered around the minor leagues. Um, Sammy, I know you've, you've got some strong opinions. You want to start off? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's un, it's, it's unimaginable to me that, you know, your future product, like basically this is your minor league system is, is, is your product pipeline, right? Like these are the guys that are ultimately, hopefully going to be staffing your major league roster. And we, we see what they do in football in terms of development and how they, you know, spend money on, spend money on their facilities. And to me, it's just insane that minor leaguers are, really 
you know, basically choosing between their performance and surviving uh, while, while trying to develop for their franchises. Like it's just, ultimately they're trying to develop for themselves as well, but it just, it just, I can't wrap my head around a, a professional athlete, you know, trying to survive and develop at the same time. When franchises cost billion, like are valued in the billions, um, and it's just just a lack of awareness on, on on the part of the owners, you know, considering what's going on with the CBA stuff, uh, the hit that the the sport took in the pandemic with the inability to get on the field when they had the spotlight for months, uh, just the you know un- inability to kind of understand the 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 the, the spotlight and the situation. And, uh, you know, and then I think they came out with something where they're trying to cut minor league, uh, minor league jobs. Yeah. You know, so it's just, uh, yeah, I just, I can't understand what major league baseball is doing. Like, do they not want to have a pipeline? I mean, and that's the beauty of the major league system is that they actually have a minor leagues to develop this stuff. Right. The NBA got their stuff together and they, they promoted the hell out of the G league and all that other stuff. And they've turned it into a thing, uh, for their local communities. And these minor league teams are the only form of entertainment for some of these minor league for these for these communities. So it's just a lack of awareness on the owners' part. Uh, and I think Rob Manfred has been the worst thing to happen to baseball in quite quite a long time. Yeah, Anything to add, boys? Well, you know, the one thing that I that Mark had mentioned in his uh, tweet thread that resonated with me was the the just the quote that you know players shouldn't have to retire due to money instead of productivity. And, and that's just, you know, and I know people will come back and say, well, look at musicians, musicians, if you don't cut it, you don't, they don't get money coming the direction, but you know, it, it is a different beast altogether because there's an overarching support system that could be there. And they, they are, they have so many options that could be at their disposal and they're relatively, I'd say inexpensive on the grand scheme of things if they want to provide in-house food for everybody, it would cost them each about $270,000 a year. Now let's be honest, how much more in ticket sales would you have to bump that up just to cover the cost of that? Not much in the grand scheme up the box costs. If the box, the people that are spending, you know, a hundred grand a year for luxury box, make it, make it a little bit more 2% bump. And all of a sudden you have the majority of that. And then housing, Aaron, sorry, if I'm, Cutting into something you might have said, but my wife is the uh, she runs a property here in St. Louis. It's you know it's a high rise, it's an apartment complex. She's the property manager, and they have like six or eight different build apartments designated for uh, traveling nurses that the hospitals pay for. And that made me think, man, they could build theoretically in these places, these rundown areas. They could turn into a housing unit exclusively for the players, and then. If they ever wanted to, I mean, it would be a revenue stream of some sort and it would cut the cost down. It just, there's, there's doable ways they could offset this uh, drain on their, you know, poor, poor income for these owners that Sammy, don't let me tell me, you know, you feel sorry for these owners like I do, right? They don't have enough money oh, yet. Come on. <laughs> In this time. I shed a tear every day. For these owners. I know. Me too. Right there. Nate, I think the social media pressure that was put on, uh, over the last few years, thankfully, has um, they actually got the owners to agree to pay for housing, I think is what Mark Appel 
mentioned this this season heading into 2022 they're actually going to help out the minor leaguers with housing i actually have um uh, a neighbor who lived down the street from me who was a uh, 16th round pick by the st louis cardinals um back in 2000 i think 2003 2004 um he pitched for Lemoyne, sixth round pick, went to college, you know, college arm, went into the minor leagues in 2004 and spent seven seasons. I got his stats right here in front of me. So I'm going to, I'm going to rattle them off real quick, but he threw, uh, he appeared in 277 games. He paid for all his housing, all his food, made it to the 40 man roster for seven days. Got a seven, got a one, a one week game check, seven years, two 177 appearances with a 372 ERA and a 1.29 minor league whip. Never got the big league check. Never. 16th rounder. So all of and and I know, I heard it. He came home in the winters and he worked at the grocery store. That's what he did. He lived at his parents' house. A professional baseball player. This is like what they used to do back in the, I remember like clips back in the day in like the thirties and forties. I think they would, they, they talked to these baseball players and how in the off season, they would go sell suits or something to earn a living. Like this is what this is. And then we wonder why Daniel Norris is living out of a van, you know, because he's been conditioned to live out of a van because he used to be in the minor leagues. Right. Uh, insane. And there's, really- and there's something, you know, like we, when we had Steve vote on the, on the podcast last year, he talked about there being a benefit to the minor leagues, not being easy. And his point was just like, if, if you're challenged, um, it really does make you, the players who really want it tend to work harder. But his point was also like, there's a difference between it being challenging and it being borderline impossible or it being, you know, negligible in some way. Like, Sure, make it make it hard. It it should be hard. You're trying to become a professional athlete, but you know these photos where like guys are sleeping on the floor of ballrooms in hotels for you know like a two or three day stint. You know, giving somebody a bed is not making it so that they're like they're cushy. You know what I mean? And there's there's a baseline of housing, and I know that he mentioned it in the tweet thread of like they said they're going to provide housing. What does that mean? Right? I. After my freshman year of college, I played in a summer baseball league in um, North Carolina, and it was a league that my school had sent players to multiple times. But what we didn't know was that the team that they sent me to had basically had a relationship with a local apartment complex that was ruined the year before because the players that they had basically tore the whole thing up. So they didn't tell us that. I get there, and my housing is me and three other guys are living um well the whole every team everybody that wasn't local was living in a trailer park we were living in a a single wide trailer that had no lock on the doors uh boarded up windows and no furniture except like a mat like a mattress but you know nothing else um in the house there was you know we had one guy who had a car, so we drove to get groceries, things like that. But it was, it's obviously, you're talking about the bare minimum of safety. And because the door didn't lock, one of my roommates who didn't have a bedroom, he was on the couch, slept with a loaded shotgun on the floor of the living room by the couch. So like, if I got up to go get a glass of water in the, in the middle of the night, I had to hope that I didn't wake him up because I was afraid he'd pull the shotgun on me. Right. So and you're, you're telling thinking, us you're telling us that you lived like a triple A baseball player. 
Right, exactly. That's the point, right? Sounds and like, actually and I'm sounds not, like a couple of my deployments to Iraq, to be honest. And I'm and I'm 19 at that point. And like there are some of these minor leaguers that are that are that old. And we had guys on our team who were from Puerto Rico who came from Puerto Rico. So they came up just for this league. And they're also living in um a tra- in a trailer next to us. And there were varying levels of of proficiency in English for some of them. And they all kind of looked after each other, but it really is that microcosm of the minor league system where you have some guys who are really young, some guys who are really young and not from the country. And then you kind of all throw them, you throw them in a random city that they've never been in before and expect them to not only just kind of live as human beings, but then also perform for you in your, in the, the, the job that you've given them. Right. And in all jobs, we have most jobs have professional development opportunities, right? Because companies want their employees to get more proficient in whatever it is that their job is to do so that they can be better at that job so that they can make more money for the company so that they can give the company more. I mean, that, that we kind of know as professionals, we've entered into that arrangement. So why major league baseball teams aren't providing minor leaguers with the opportunity to get better so they can make the teams better so they can make the organizations better so they can make more money it just seems like a you know i scratch my back you scratch or i scratch your back you scratch mine kind of thing listen if they're facing the next uh, emmanuel class a's and lysol iglesias baseball is hard enough as it is if you've been following like pitching ninja gifts it's hard enough yeah like lay off the minor leaguers and that was Sammy's not so subtle way of transitioning us not into. I'm never subtle. I'm never our subtle. Our, our topic at <laughs> Never subtle. Um, so we're going to go through some pockets of, of relievers coming off the board um, based on where their current ADP is, and I use the last month um, of ADP uh, using the NFBC ADPs, which Sammy and I have been using the whole time, uh, and we're just kind of going to talk about whether we think the ADP is accurate or not, whether we think. That uh, whether we have guys we like within a particular tier, whether we think that, you know, this is a tier that we would want to avoid, et cetera. Um, Sammy and I have already talked about Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader, so we're not going to belabor the point. They are clearly um, the top two relievers on the board. Uh, so, Aaron, Nate, my, my question for you is, it seems like everybody has kind of agreed that Rizal Iglesias is the number three reliever. And is that true? And should we just be like, one, two, three, set in stone, moving on. I'll take the lead here just because I know that, uh, I know Aaron and I both agree on this, is that I think there's a, a small little pocket with Rizel and one of these other names that we've talked about as far as um, deserving to be in that spot. And right now it's it's about a round plus value is Ryan Presley. And if you look at last year, and you just look at the numbers, what you see is you, you see a, a save total that was suppressed, not from anything that he did. It's just the fact that they, the Houston Astros did something that uh, relatively few teams have ever done. And, and that is have 34 team saves despite 95 team wins. And he still made up 76% of those team saves. You have to go back to 2013, really. 2015 was the first instance with the Toronto Blue Jays where a team that won 95 games had less than 40 saves. And that was uh, 35. And that was headlined by Roberto Azuna. Coincidentally, another kind of Houston tie in there. And and that was one of those who knows what. I can't put my finger on why. I mean, I know we can point to say, hey, they had a ton of blowout wins. They... 
they, they put them in position. You have 95 wins. You anticipate. I mean, you have to go back really far to see a team that had a closer that made up more than 60% of the save opportunities and then not collect 30 saves. Like I mentioned, 2013 with the Red Sox, they had 33 team saves with 96 team wins or, or over 90 team wins at least, um, which is crazy to think only you know a third of your of your wins actually resulted in a save. And that was a year that Andrew Bailey got hurt, went on the IL in July, and then uh, uh, Kohi Orhura came in, or Koji Orhura, depending upon, I'm not real familiar with exactly the enunciation there. It's all right. we, we, we still love you, Nate. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so... Well, we've learned you have to, you, even if you're right, you're wrong. Luis Robert now is Robert. And so it's, it's pretty much at the disposal of whichever, whatever the player decides he wants to do each year. Listen, I taught at a French school, so I've been calling him Robert the whole time. Cause that's just how my brain was conditioned. I see that ERT and I'm like, that's Robert. I've been conditioned to call him Robert as well, because I'm thinking he's not from, you know, his name has, can't be Robert, but as a culture, that's why. Exactly. Culture. And so, you know, and I'll, just a couple of the stats we talked about earlier, when you're talking about that separation between the two, Reza Iglesias was eighth last year in uh, weighted OBA in WOBA. He was eighth in expected ERA. And he and where did uh, Ryan Presley finish? Ninth in both of those two. So they're separated by margin, uh, finer than frog hair, as they say. He was eighth in K-minus walk rate, fifth in Sierra. He had a 94th percentile in K rate, 92nd percentile in, in walk rate. So everything's on par with Rizel. And I, I got to say that the, I can't see a situation that Houston doesn't have just more opportunities for Presley. And we, again, we kind of spoke about this in terms of auction values and relative player value. What would an additional seven saves do to his numbers from last year? Where does that put him if he had, you know, 35 saves, 36 saves? Is there a potential for 40 saves? Aaron, what do you think? Besides the fact that we can get Rizel Iglesias as Ryan Presley around later, let's talk about why uh, Iglesias is not in the top, like that top tier, and why he's back down towards the Presleys, the Diaz's, and the Class A's. Before last season, he was never a twenty percent swinging strike guy. Last so we so last year may have just been his ninetieth percentile season, and um, he had a thirty-seven point seven K percent last year. And Steamer thinks because Steamer looks at, you know, longer than just one season's worth of, of data. Steamer thinks, well, okay, let's get him back to, let's get some regression back to his mean. So get him back down to the 31.5% K rate, right? He's, that is nowhere near Hader and Hendricks. Hader, 39.3%. Hendricks, 37% K rates. They are far and away um, above Rizal Iglesias. So that, that cliff is enormous right there. But for a second, if you want to talk about how close Ryan Presley is to Rizal Iglesias' 90th percentile season last year. Iglesias, just in general, heading into last season, 32.9% uh, K rate. Presley, 33.7 career. Uh, Iglesias, a 1.14 career whip. Presley, 1.02. Um, you know, batting average against 200, 224. I mean, these guys are the same guys. So you're telling me that Presley on a good team who just won too many games by too many runs last year can't be a 34 save 100k guy with like a 2.5 ERA and a 1.0 whip. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And so that's Rizel's season last year. And you don't have to pay for it because thankfully the Astros didn't have enough games for Presley to save last year. Yeah. And also, and your your points are really good. And I think also, you know, Rizel, Greg mentioned this when we did the, that kind of free agent relievers um, piece early on that 
he had a huge second half of the year. That the, the first half of the year was it was solid. It was fine, solid, nothing spectacular, right? But in the second half of the year, he puts up the 1.27 ERA. They go on a hot streak. He get he gets a few more saves. So maybe, you know, we're we're putting too much weight in one really hot second half of the season and bumping him up where he's going right now, which is currently 51st overall. And then to your point, we've got Ryan Presley going down at 66th in the middle of that next year. So Nate, you're also on board with what Aaron said. And at this point, why take Rizel if you could just wait around and take Presley? Yeah. And if you guys had any clue just how big of a victory that is last year, while Aaron and I did the same uh, crazy train ride that we're on now, it was uh, it was me that was on Ryan Presley and trying to convince Aaron to jump on board. And, and he was reluctant, rightfully so, because not all the statistics were backing and, and Aaron's really smart. It's hard to convince a person. So luckily I had a year's worth of data to now compile. And now we collectively have got him on board and maybe we'll bring you guys uh, onto this uh, Presley bandwagon. Hopefully not too many others though, so we can get good draft value. For sure. And now are you guys, where would you move him? Where would you move him up? You think he's just, you think he's a compiler, Sammy? I think Nate is a, Nate is a compiler. He just, he just compiled on them and came over, came over to Aaron. Yeah. He's a compiler. As much Perfect. as I can. Yeah, Ozzy Albee style. Presley's the top of tier two for me. He's the, so, he's the next guy. He's the next guy after Hendrickson Hater. He has a secure job, one. Yeah. That put, to me, he has a track record now. Uh, you know, like Nate said, it took me a little while to see this track record unfold, but now he's been consistent. He's done the job in Houston. He's got the job in Houston. It's he's going nowhere in the ninth inning. Hector Neris aside. I mean, get, get me out of right. here with this guy. Right? right. So like, so Ryan Presley's got the job. The guy strike, he strikes out the world. He's, he is, he is the guy that you want. He is that he is the, the, the reliever that you want. So, so how, now we got to compare him to right class and Diaz. And I know we're going to get to these two guys in, in a second, but for me, he is much, he's a much safer fantasy option than both of those two guys class a because of the uh, uh, limited track record and DS from some underlying stats that we'll get to in a little bit. I, I, I've, I've always, I was, I was, I've always felt that way about Presley um, that he like the situation he's in. I just have always been, you know, the numbers are the numbers, right. And, you know, we can all, we all know that they're really good pitchers. But to me, you know, save ops and saves have always been tied to the team that they're on. And I've always been, a, you know, hey, what does the team makeup look like? Is this team going to be in games, right? And is this team good enough to win games? Um, and that's, always, and as much as competition behind them. So I've always been a Presley guy over, you know, guys like Rysel. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of Ryan Presley for that reason. And to, I mean, yes. And to be fair, like, you know, Rysel's on a good team himself i think most of us as baseball fans hope that you know the angels are healthy yeah. um just because that lineup with you know trout and otani and rendon and walsh like it would be nice to see that team you know playing meaningful games down the stretch um but since you kind of already alluded to it aaron i, I will say right now presley is actually he's been doing this little dance with edwin diaz where they basically flip-flop each other for the fifth or sixth reliever off the board. Um, and Presley is currently sixth, one pick behind Diaz. So we're not talking anything crazy. But Class A and, and Edwin Diaz are both ahead of Presley. So, and they're all in a clump. 
So Class A at 63, Diaz at 65, Presley at 66. Um, Nate, you you share Aaron's concerns with Class A and Diaz? I, w- I wouldn't say a concern with Class A. I hate to use the word concern. I mean, if if you go to his StatCast page, uh, you saw murder. Unfortunately, there's, there's blood everywhere. But with... <laughs> With Diaz, I will, I will pass the ball to uh, to Aaron because, as being the the local Mets fan, he was quick to poo poo on my I'm coming around on Diaz, which makes no say it was so evil. I was like, hey man, you know what I said? I think I'm maybe turning the corner. I might see some hope in Diaz. He goes, let me run on your parade real quick, and he spit out <laughs> a bunch of numbers that has me second guessing, and maybe he'll make you guys second guess as well. Okay, like we, we I, I alluded to this, but we let's look under the hood, right? We, we can see the numbers. We know the saves. We know uh, if, you, if you talk to Greg, um, he always talks about every, you know, once a year or twice a year, Diaz loses a grip on his slider. He can't throw any sliders, can't get anybody out. We just right. got to overlook that as fantasy analysts. And a lot of the times I would tend to, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, you can't you can't break down closers every freaking day. Otherwise, this is going to be a nightmare for you, right? Um, <clears throat> Got to have a short term memory. But let's look at the let's look at last season under the hood completely. He had his worst career swinging strike percent at sixteen. He had his career worst in zone contact rate at eighty percent. So he missed fewer bats. He got hit harder. He got hit more often. In the zone, we already know he's a fly ball pitcher, right? He's a fly ball strikeout guy. That's just that's just his makeup. Last year, lowest ground ball percentage of his career. So even more fly balls last year. But, 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 he had his, by far his best home run to fly ball rate of his career last year at 5.3%. When he entered last season, his career fly ball, home run to fly ball rate was almost 17%. Three, time, three times worse than that's his 5.3 he put up last year. So 32 saves and a 1.05 whip. I have no idea what to make of this, except either he lucked into that season, right? Or he's a 35% K guy, which he is. And he can just kind of get away with giving up long fly balls and getting hit in the zone. I have, I, I don't know. And so that's too many question marks for me in this tier. And that puts him all the way at the bottom. I mean, even below Class A, and I've got some things about Class A too. But I, I've got Class A above him. I've got Iglesias above him. I've got Presley above him in, in this tier easily. Well, I mean, what do you what do you make of you know? We're talking about strikeouts and uh, like Class A having the lowest strikeout rate of this group. What, what do you make of that? Though? I'm glad you set me up for that. That was nicely done. In last season, 2020, <laughs> last season 2021, Emmanuel Class A, he had the lowest K rate, 26.5 percent by any pitcher who had a swinging strike rate greater than 16.5%. So of all the pitchers who had a 16.5% or better swinging strike rate, no one had a lower strikeout rate than Emmanuel Class A. His strikeout rate was only 26.5%. And it, and it actually, if you look a little bit further and deeper into it, it actually depended on him actually throwing strikes, which is, which is an important trait to have right. as a pitcher, right? So anyone who pitched more than 30 innings last year, um, his called strike rate of 13.3% was 446th yeah. among pitchers in called strikes. So uh, that wasn't great. Um, but then if you, if you kind of looked at his, uh, in his zone percentage or how many pitches he threw in the zone, it actually got better as the year went on and strikeout rate climbed a little bit. It didn't get over the 30% mark like we really want it to be for these types of relievers. 
He only had 74 Ks in 69 two thirds innings last year. There's might be some room for growth, but maybe he's just a guy who just can't throw enough strikes to get enough strikeouts, yep. even though he gets swings and misses. I don't know. Yep. And I, I kind of want to go back to, I kind of want to go back to that Edwin Diaz um, point you made about him being in zone more and his swing strike, strike rate dropping, but it, you know, you know, and seeing his balls hit more, but having the lowest um, home run to fly ball rate, fly ball rate he's had, you know, in years, I think, Eric, would you say that's like maybe a guy pitching the contact a little bit more and not, you know, necessarily trying to go for the strikeout every single time? I think that kind of, to me, that tells me maybe evolving, you know, and kind of figuring out that, hey, I don't have to strike everybody out. It, I mean, it's possible. I mean, if you, if you write that story based on the context that you just did, it's possible. And it's also possible that if you're talking about, you know, pitchers, we, you know, we don't want to belabor the point with like the sticky stuff in June and all of that, but if you're talking about messing with grip, you might have a guy who's just like, I just got to get this over the plate um, and not trying to, you know, being a little less confident in pitches, which could certainly lead to that. But we've also known that, you know, Diaz has been enigmatic since really since the one good year that got him traded to the Mets. I mean, you know, he's, he's never been somebody that makes you confident. Even when you look up and at the end of the year, he's like the third best closer in all of fantasy. If you had him on your team, he gave you a heart attack, like, you know, bi-weekly. I guess my, my question for, for you guys, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what's interesting about class A is, you know, if you compare, I'm, I, I like to look at, um, Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard, which I think is a great resource. Um, and I'm looking at this tier of guys right now, and I'm looking at just uh, their individual pitches. And you can see that Class A's slider, and he's basically just a slider cutter guy, is right in the mix with everybody in terms of swinging strike rate. He got a basically a 24% swing strike rate on the slider, but a called strike rate under 8%. Um, and a called strike rate under 8% because to me that if you're not getting any called strikes on a slider, and I know usually sliders are used to chase, but to me, that means he's only using it to chase and he can't actually either pinpoint the corner on that. There's no backdoor sliders. There's no sliders that are, are thrown or there's very limited sliders that are thrown in the zone. And then, so you, you know, this Sammy as a hitter too. It's like, if every time I see that pitch, I, I can pick up the hump of the slider. It's going out of the zone. I'm just not going to yeah. swing at it. So you yeah. can have the best swinging strike rate possible on that pitch. But if you can't throw it for a strike, then I'm never going to swing at it if I see it come out of your hand. And then he only has one other offer. And if you're only a two-pitch pitcher, you know, process of elimination is a lot easier at this point. Yeah. And I just looked it up. His zone rate on – the slider is 43%, um, which is the lowest of any of these tier of guys that we're talking about. It's the lowest individual pitch um, percentage other than class A's fastball, which he barely ever throws. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you got, listen, I, I kind of was thinking I, you know, he's the trendy guy, right? He was, the uh, he's been kind of trendy as a prospect. He broke out. Um, everybody's kind of thinking that he there's another step. So I think this is useful information. And then I also, I also don't like Karen Chak being there either, man. I that's what I was going to say. 
Let me ask I, this. Is it crazy? That... Either, when they were just like flip-flopping these two every every op. When it was just like you had no idea who to peg. Is and it crazy least, to think that he's Diaz, involved? Yeah. I mean, at least at Diaz, there's some security in knowing that they're going to trot him out. Like the Mets are going to beat themselves over the head, making sure that they recoup value on that trade by putting him out there every op. So I mean I I mean if you had to give me one of one of the two I'm taking Diaz. Are we crazy yeah. to bring up Karen Check, guys? You're mean for bringing up Karen Check. <laughs> I was going to say you really I, striking me down right here. It was a, it was a rough year last year going into it because I was uh, I was Tommy Lee on banging that drum for uh, Karen Check and, and and rightfully so in in reality is that he had that that true upside to deliver a, a, an RP one overall season with the underlying uh, metrics. The little that I know that it was, uh, you know, spider tech induced and, or the maybe me being shot by since it was close to Valentine's day, Cupid's arrow for Karen check, but it was, you know, he, he had no control when, when they got rid of that to crack down on the sticky stuff from if you look before June 21st. And then after you'll see, it was pretty. It was pretty evident. And is there reason to be concerned? Absolutely, I think there could. You could be concerned in that Karen Check has that ability, that strikeout, and we we want to see him. I want to see him in that role. And there's nobody else there really that I'm even remotely concerned about. But I, I do think Diaz has. Uh, if there's a security factor, I would give Diaz the an A to A minus, and Class A would be right there with him i think i love that you said there's nobody else there because it just reminded me of sammy and i talking about how nick whitgren might close uh-huh. for cleveland at the beginning of the year because they didn't want karen check to you know rack up saves for arbitration and so there was a whole movement last year oh, where people were God. like taking nick whitgren as late closers and <laughs> i remember that what a just what a dumpster fire. Dumpster fire yeah. <laughs> um, so so let me ask you about a guy who kind of teeters between this tier and the tier below. Um, and it's a former kind of ace closer in Araldus Chapman, um, who's currently going off the board 83rd overall and is pretty much right square in the middle of this tier and the tier below. Do you guys think that Chapman? belongs more with the group that we just talked about or more with the group that we are going to talk about what day is this because i can't make up my in mind about overall this chapman I, I i promise you i can't like we talked to greg jewett who watched chapman very closely because he was in a head-to-head points league last year and he needed chapman to pull through form in his fantasy league and he didn't he blew two saves in a week it cost him a playoff appearance like it's it's heartbreak city for greg but he made some points, right? Like he, his velocity was down. He didn't throw strikes. He sweat through his freaking uniform every time he was out there on the mound because he never know where the hell the ball was going. And he was looking over his shoulder to see if somebody was warming up in the bullpen. Okay. All of that said, it's obviously all about control, control of his pitches because it's not about his job security. Like our, we're not concerned about that, right? At all. Last year, 16% walk rate, basically. That's horrible. But a 34% CSW. What the, like, what, what I, don't, I don't understand that. It, it doesn't even make sense to me. Like, I can't, I can't, that doesn't compute. So, but he's also done this before in his career, right? He's done, he's gotten the job done without actually truly throwing strikes consistently. And, and his other peripherals, 
kind of scream like, holy crap, buy a Roldis Chapman when everyone else is off of him. Uh, pitcher right. list, pitcher list just, just dove into um, uh, Alexander Chase, just jo- dove into a uh, hard hit uh, percentage per plate appearance. And Aroldis Chapman at 17% was a top 24 pitcher overall last year. And he's got a 40%, you know, basically a 40% K rate, which is like the fourth best in baseball. I don't like, I don't know, depending on what, like I said, depending on what day it is, I, I'm either, oh my God, I need to roll this Chapman or I'm like, uh, well, I can't do this or all this Chapman thing. <laughs> Sammy, as a, as a diehard Yankee fan, is there anybody else in that bullpen? Cause you know, Aaron mentioned that he's got the job locked up. Even as a fan, is there anybody that you would want to see get a crack at the ninth inning? Or do you oh, think there's know. nobody? Yeah. I think that kid's got ice water in his veins. Um, yeah, I, I think if there was anybody in that bullpen, I think it would be Loiska. I think they've given him they gave him some opportunities last year to do it. I think he did well in that role. Um, and I think I, I don't know if this is age, you know, kind of creeping in here where these bouts of the yips for uh, Chapman are going to happen more frequently and, and for longer periods of time. Um, and I think as I don't know what his current contract status is. I don't know how, what year. Free agent at the end of the year. Great. Yeah. I can definitely see them grooming someone else for, you know, depending on where the Yankees are mid season potential move. I can see that. Um, or if they don't move them and they're in a, in a playoff race and Moesica is their best option, I can see them moving Chapman out of that role. I, I can, I think it's, I think this is a, what happens when a guy who's thrown so hard for so long? Um, I think this is what happens when they get older. These bouts of, you know, wildness uh, kind of creep in, and 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 as the year goes on, and as the years go on, they're just longer in duration. You know, and I, I don't know if they can sustain that moving forward. Nate, let me let me ask you. Um, you know, this is all speculation because we don't have any free agent signings. But Sammy mentioned Loizaga, and then the other best bullpen option besides Chapman is is Chad Green they're both guys who the Yankees have thrown for multiple innings at a time is there a world where the Yankees say you know what we like these guys being flexible multi-inning relievers and the Yankees go and get somebody like an Ian Kennedy to be their eighth inning guy who could also maybe step in or do you think that's crazy I mean, I guess nothing's crazy. The idea that uh, that they have and that we as drafters can have someone like Loisaga right around pick, you know, just shy of pick 400 who could immediately step in. And, and we've talked about this a little bit too, is the one thing we have to pay attention to on this season is are they going to have condensed games? And with this condensed games, no offense to the Yankees uh, starting rotation. But I think if there's one area that they might want to incorporate some of these uh, long relievers or give a little bit more innings, especially if these seven inning double headers, I don't want to start playing. Uh, uh, oh, you know, what was us for baseball fans? But what are we going to see? We're going to see these middle relievers where they might need to hold on to more of the wise guys, more of the Chad Greens for the multi inning situation. But um how comfortable are we with Jordan Montgomery and Luis Severino coming back and oh, nasty Nestor, et cetera, to get the innings that we need shy of uh, Garrett Cole. And maybe uh, I guess Montgomery could go long enough, but to go back to your question, are you crazy to think that they would move along from Chapman? 
realistically, I think it's kind of crazy to think so. But do we? Where do we expect them to be as contenders in the right. season? I mean, I have to assume that they're going to be contenders, correct? Yeah, and I'm thinking not even move along as much as bring in a bring in an eighth inning guy. And oh, then I, I maybe apologize. That, I'm... Maybe that eighth inning guy just offers some support. But like saying, you know, I'm going to get. Uh, I mean. A guy like we know Neris signed and Yimmy Garcia yep. signed and like those eighth inning guys, but you know, getting like a an Ian Kennedy, a Ryan Tapera, yeah, you know, guys that we've, that we've liked who could close, but maybe aren't closers by the market. That that actually even adds more credence to what I was even saying there as far as the inning fillers, too, is someone like a Kennedy. And you mentioned Ryan Tapera, which I hate to think of because I would love to see him in a situation to actually inherit both of those two i mean i i think that we want versus desire and i would love for those two to go to a team that actually could use a ninth inning more so than the eighth inning but i don't think that's outside the realm of possibilities i mean their their depth and you guys can answer this what is it uh wandy peralta clay holmes joely rodriguez i mean not exactly names that i think new york would love to go into as inning supporters so yeah, there's a chance. I, I think that let's get this baseball season going so we can see something like that maybe yeah. happen. Let's do it. Um, so the other tier that that's below them that we were hinting at um, is going to be relievers eight through 11. Uh, number eight is another old familiar face. Who's maybe getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, Kenley Jansen, who's going at pick 95. Um, and then right after him, you have Will Smith, who's going at pick 99. Uh, and then the 10th reliever off the board is Jordan Romano going at 103. And then I guess we'll end this tier with Giovanni Gallegos as the 11th reliever going at 115. Um, Aaron, is there a guy in this grouping that you find yourself more apt to draft? There's a guy in this grouping that actually belongs in the group ahead of him. And that's Kenley Jansen. Like he's going to resign with LA and barring Texas, giving him three years and a whole crap ton of money to be their closer anyway. Right. Like he's going to be a closer wherever he signs. And I'm, I am so here for it. I'm here for 2022 where Kenley Jansen's washed again for the third straight year. And I can get him in all my drafts because <laughs> like, legit, legit. 31% K. It was like the end of Kenley Jansen and then oh, some yeah. kind of rebirth happened and it was just like, whoa. Yeah. And if you're looking for like a safety pivot, like you don't feel comfortable drafting one of these top five or six relievers and, and, and you're like, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know, really know how to build my team. Um, and we're talking about draft and hold here, you know, th those types of leagues. I don't really know how to build my team. If I'm reaching in the second and third round for relievers. I mean, you got to draft Kenley Jansen 31% K rate. 1.07 whip, 82 of his last 97 saves converted, 199 Ks in his last 156 innings. I mean, that's pretty good for some guy who's freaking totally washed, right? Give me Kenley, give me all the Kenley Jansen. Stop, you know, just let's just put him on my team. Auto yeah. love it. Love yeah, it. I remember spending a ton of fab on Corey Knable in like you know, uh planning for the demise of Kenley Jansen only to be out like 108 bucks. So yeah, there we go. Listen, I, I hear you, Aaron. I I, in my like rankings that I've been doing as we do these drafting holds, I have Jansen like in the late seventies. So he's going 95 right now. I'm getting him most places. Nate, is there another guy in that group that you, that you like, do they all make you a little nervous? Where, where are you at on the, the rest of these names? Yeah. You know, so before we went on, that was one thing Aaron and I talked about is Jansen being 
in his own kind of the disrespected tier that I think that we both can see plenty of shares of. But to even go back, we mentioned about Rawls Chapman kind of hovering between the two tiers. I, I want to take Chapman and Kenley and kind of put them both in that more towards tier two than tier three, because with Jordan Romano, I'm still set in my ways that I still think Toronto goes out and brings somebody in. I don't know why Jordan Romano has done nothing to, to stop him from keeping the ninth short of, you know, Toronto just likes to be confusing for us as a whole, but I, I see that particular aspect that makes me hesitant on Jordan Romano. Uh, the Will Smith inf you know, information that we've talked about over really recon as far as is, it was last year, a little bit of uh, whether we start to see chink, you know, chinks in the armor, were we a little concerned with the fastball and, and Giovanni Gallegos here in St. Louis, the, with the talks that they want to bring in. And that's the, that's the hardest part about Gallegos. And I'll say that I am, I would love to have them based on what we saw at the end of the season. Here's the, the scary part about that. When you win 170 games in a row, your relief, your ninth inning guy's going to look really good because he was thrown out every time. And so it's a little inflated. He's a great, great pitcher. I'm not taking anything away from him, but when we hear the conversation that they would love to bring in someone, they, i.e. the Ryan Tapers of the world to come in and maybe help the ninth inning, maybe not, maybe be the eighth inning, maybe be the exclusive ninth inning guys. There's a lot of, chaos in that high leverage role that I'm not a big fan of. And I'm bypassing this tier of closers outside of Kinley. I don't have any shares of Aroldis Chapman, probably because Greg has me so scared and he has to know something that I don't know. And he's seeing something that I'm not seeing other than we saw the mannerisms last year and he looked defeated before he even threw a pitch so many different times. It makes me worried, but I am, I, I'm becoming more of the, the, the Kinley needs to be on my team, especially um, as we've done exclusively where we do these flow charts, like you've done excellently, by the way, um, and, and take deeper dives and in looking into it. Yeah. You know? Nate, sorry guys. Uh, this, this tier, like Nate said, this, do you want to have somebody else from this tier? Right? We're talking about tiers. These guys are grouped together in ADP. So, you know, you, you, you have to kind of try to differentiate them somehow. And obviously Kenley's success and he, he learned a new pitch and, and he's, he just, he showed, he showed out last year, right. To get his big contract and he's going to get his money. Uh, Jordan Romano, he was like the fourth option for Toronto last year, right? Tyler Yates season ending injury, Julian Merriweather comes out and, and blows the Yankees away for a weekend. And he's the guy, uh, Raphael Dolis couldn't throw a strike. And then Jordan Romano, and he did an excellent job as the closer. I'm not going to take anything away from how, how he performed on the mound. Right. Saint and Nate, you know, Nate hammered at home 20 wins in a row that the Cardinals aren't winning 20 games in a row every month. So that guy, Ego September is super inflated, pushed his ADP up way into this tier. Crazy. So the only guy I would have considered drafting besides Kenley Jansen from this group was Will Smith. Well, but you guys do a great job of this on the show is like kind of looking deeper, looking behind, you know, what's actually the pitches that the guy throws and, and what he's doing. His fastball sucked last year. <laughs> it was horrific. He throws it 47% of the time, equal, equally to righties and lefties, and it was equally as ineffective. He, he These numbers were all below the average Major League Baseball reliever on his fastball last year. Swing strike percent of nine versus the 10.9 that, that is average. And uh, expected batting average against, uh, uh, you know, 287 versus the 259. The hard hip or plate appearance, you know, 33% versus the 24% that the, that the average major leaguer who pitches out of the bullpen gets on their fastball. His fastball was abysmal. 
And, you know, that's the pitch that he uses to set up all of his other pitches. That's the pitch he throws most often. And so if his fastball's bad, I know he's on a good team. And I know he's got some, a little bit of job security, but don't forget about how well Tyler Matzik pitched at the end of the year. And they've got other guys they can go to if, you know, they got plenty of lefties in that bullpen. So they got plenty of, plenty of arms. I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves are competing again. And, you know, Hey, Ian Kennedy makes total sense. Like these types of guys who just have some closing experience. Cause if Will Smith gets into trouble, you want to you want a guy to rely on. And so I can't pull the trigger on Will Smith because of his fastball stuff. It's, it's funny you bring that up. I, I'm looking at the pitch leaderboard and I have all the individual pitches of this grouping uh, singled out and it's a Will Smith sandwich in swinging strike rate because his slider has the best swinging strike rate of any pitch in this group. And then he actually has the two worst because the fastball and the curveball are both sub 10% swinging strike rate pitches. Um and I, I was in on Chris Martin at the beginning of last year for this exact purpose, as I thought, you know, maybe they platoon it, maybe they split it. Um, to your point, Nate, I'd love if Giovanni Gallegos just had the job because I think sure. the skills are legit. Um, he had the best K minus walk rate of this entire group. Um, he doesn't, he, his control is probably the best of this entire group, but you know, I, I, I hear you on, you know, early drafts right now. If you're, if you don't know what's going to happen there in terms of free agent signing, it's perhaps too big a roll of the dice. So my question to you, this is a guy I've talked about forever on all of our off season shows and articles. Should I not just take Craig Kimbrell instead of taking all of these guys? Because he's currently going way later um, at pick 150, but there's no way he stays in Chicago, right? I mean, he's closing for somebody this year, or am I out of my mind? I think one thing's interesting though. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Just one thing's interesting. (laughs) I think that right here, right after Kenley Jansen, um, this is where the draft and hold relief pitcher one ends. And you get into the point where if you're in a fab league or standalone league or a league that you can make roster moves in season, in this is where these guys become much more interesting to me because because even even at their adp like i can i can convince myself to take a chance in the eighth or ninth round on will smith jordan romano giovanni gallegos and if i hit that home run it's awesome if they if they if it doesn't work out for me i can make an in-season move so anyway that that because that there is some context to drafting relief pitching that is that is way outside of any other position in fantasy baseball yeah yeah. Um, one, of, one of the crazy things is that you were talking about, you know, Craig Kimbrell is that despite even and so in DCs only for a person who is exclusively and, you know, I think the expectations didn't get traded versus. So here he is as a, a setup role in Chicago. We assume he's going to be traded to a team that's going to let him close. His max pick is 141. Mark Melanson. On the other hand, who was locked and loaded as the the surefire ninth inning guy in Arizona has a max pick of 153. Now, Kimbrell still has a higher ADP overall. He's got an 11 pick uh, men like advantage that if that doesn't tell everybody just a little bit. But are we as drafters being just fooled into thinking that Chicago might not just say screw it? 
we'll have the best setup guy, even if he didn't do well in an eighth inning role. And this is not me playing devil's advocate, but it is me playing devil's advocate because I absolutely have Craig Kimbrell. A Kimbrell-Kinley-Jansen sandwich, if you get as your two close, is delicious. Super delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten it. I've gotten it in a couple of these drafts. And I would say I'd be more inclined to believe he stayed if they didn't sign Kendall Graveman. Right. Because Kendall Graveman is your elite eighth inning guy. So you don't need Kimbrell. That's why you do need a you do need a partner though, right? Like we always say, okay, this is so it's so obvious that the White Sox need to trade Kimbrell. He stunk in the eighth inning, 18 innings pitch, four four ERA in the the ninth inning last year, 36 innings, and he was a sub one ERA, right? So he's obviously a guy who's cut out for the ninth. And it just, it makes so much, everyone knows they have to move this guy, right? You still want to get some value for him. And you got, you have to have a trading, you have to have a willing partner, someone who's willing to spend some money at the closer position, LA, you know, like if Kenley, if Kenley goes away or something like that, like you have to, it's not going to, he's not going to get traded to Miami, you know, uh, maybe Boston makes some sense, but you got to have, I mean, can you see them? Can you see, you just mentioned Texas. uh, And if they strike out on, on Kenley, I can, can you not see Kimbrell going to, going to Texas? I can see. Yeah. I mean, I think, I I think, I think that's a total possibility. I mean, there's, there's, this doesn't seem like they have a bottom to their, to their budget this year. So. Or another team whose closer is in the same (laughs) tier, (laughs) which is the Phillies. Uh, I mean, the, Phil- the Phillies went out and signed Corey Kniebel, um, and he kind of then shot up draft boards, and he's currently going 157, so seven picks after Kimbrel. But, you know, Kniebel's battled arm injuries for the last few years. Is he going to get a full-time closers gig? The, the Phillies are, you know, competing in that division, um, even though the Braves just won the World Series. The Phillies are definitely competing. So – should that make us worried about Kniebel a little bit? What's Kniebel's ADP that you have up there for me? One, like 157. 157. Okay. In the 500s. Over the last month. Right. In the 500s, we loved him. 400s, we loved him. 300s, still loved him. We're, we're getting to the territory now where he's like the 15th reliever or some somewhere about there taken. Mm-hmm. And he's only thrown more than 55 innings pitched once in his career. And he's only thrown 39 innings in the last two seasons. So how many innings can we truly expect from him? I think the cap is 50 and, and 50 would be great. I mean, if you can get them at pick 150 and you get 50 innings, 70 strikeouts, 20 saves, like they don't bring anybody else in. He gets his 20 saves. That's awesome. as your second relief pitcher. Right. But man has like his value has gotten to the point where it's like, is it actually a value any longer? I don't, I don't think so. Not for me. So Nate, you agree with that? I don't, I, I agree that I worry there's inherent concern in that. I think Philly has been attached to too many different names The when there's smoke, there's fire type scenario. I don't want to, because I really want to believe in the, you know, Knievel's second half can translate and parlay into a, a productive and I think a higher than 50 inning cap. I think we could see 65 innings, even though he's never done that necessarily before the velos back. He's recovered now from his a little bit extended time re- from from injury. That second half, like I said, was excellent. He, you know, I mean, 20 innings, a sub two ERA and a, a one eight six uh, batting average against and, and swing strike rate that was improving each year. And like I said, that velo coming back is the, the, the real, uh, cherry on top for me because that's what I wanted to see but you touched exactly Kimbrel to Philly seems like a just a 
perfect spot. Philly does have pieces to actually move. I don't know if that's in Philly's best interest if they just, you know, spent money to bring someone in. And I think it's been shown that um, that would just drop. I mean, all value, that whole segment, that whole tier that you put together, that devil's corner of grossness, because, uh, you know, Melanson, like we said, who knows, Kimbrell, in any situation, we don't know if Kim by trade Kimbrel to Philly completely negates Corey Knievel. And you could find a situation where, again, you could mix and match those two people. You could mix, uh, you don't have Blake Trinan in this group, but Blake Trinan and Corey Knievel, which you can see those two are one day of uh, moves away from being completely useless. Kinley comes back to LA, Kimbrel gets traded to Philly, all of a sudden wasted. And I would rather have Mark Melanson and Will Smith. And all of a sudden we're back to square. What the hell do we, you know, we don't know shit. Sorry. So, PG. so let me, no. let me ask you that. Would you really rather have Mark Melanson and his illustrious 9.6% swinging strike rate closing for Arizona as one of the worst teams in baseball? Would you really rather have him? I mean, could, couldn't he just get, nine saves in the first half of the season and be traded somewhere else yeah closer hyperbole that was what nate was doing there uh <laughs> go go on he's like the 12th or 13th reliever going off the board is that crazy i hate uh, I last, he's, he's the yeah. alex Colomay to me all those same guys i clump in together i don't want anything to do with them sorry eric right. go ahead no i mean uh, arizona had tw- what they have 22 saves last year as a team um so if they uh get 30% more saves than they did last year. And Mark Melanson gets them all. And he throws uh, 60 innings with a two, seven ERA and a zero nine whip. And he strikes out 54 guys and he gets 31 saves. He would finish as relief pitcher 16. He still wouldn't be worth his ADP. That was, that was Jake McGee last year. So he still wouldn't meet that. He wouldn't even break even at ADP at that, at that, at that best season possible. So there's no, I mean, there is no way I'm taking Mark Melanson. Neither yeah. Sammy, because Sammy loves strikeouts and Mark Melanson hates strikeouts. I, yeah, no, I'm with Aaron on this hard pass ASAP. I You're with me too. Mind yeah, you. I, I, I was definitely in hyperbole. I, I am not yeah. a Mark Melanson uh, fan. I have avoided at all costs. Listen, start it up. Nate loves Mark Melanson. <laughs> get it, get it Fake news. That's what happens. This is what happens when misinformation gets put out on social media. Um, so let's just talk about the last guy here because, um, Aaron, you alluded a little bit to him when you talked about Jake McGee uh, because the last guy in this tier um, is Camilo Doval, who's going pick 166. Um, so nine picks after Knievel distanced himself a little bit from Trinan. Trinan's ADP has been dropping a little bit with the notion that Kimbrell may come back. Um, but we've been talking about Doval a lot on reliever recon. Do you guys think he's good value at 166? Too much of a question mark. This is a devil tier and I'm going to avoid it altogether. Like Nate said, what, where are your thoughts on this guy? Nate, you go ahead first. So this is, I don't want to say Aaron and I disagree on this because yes, I think we, we still share some common ground, but we, we share a team, multiple teams that we've drafted together. And, and Aaron likes pushing up Jake McGee a little bit more. Uh, I'm starting to see Duvall becoming a little bit of a value because obviously with our reliever recon hype for Camilla Duvall going in, you know, coming off the postseason where Jake McGee had an opportunity 
to reclaim the role in the ninth, and he he didn't. And it was still the most, I would say, the most high-pressure game is a playoff ninth-inning role. And uh, Kapler decided to leave Camilo Duvall in that role and and leave Jake McGee to get kind of beat up decently in the playoffs. Not to sit here and beat up on him again. He already did enough of that to himself. But Ooh. the Camilo Duvall love, I think, that I had going into the season is is starting to be in that fair number of ADP because I expected him to be much higher than this. To be honest with you, if we didn't, if we fast forwarded from November till today and you said, Nate, what was his, what do you think Camille Duvall's ADP would be? And I would assume that he would be around the seventh relief pitcher being drafted off, you know, uh, overall. And now that he's down around the 15th, that's where I see the value. But I know Aaron's case is Jake McGee has a chance to, uh, just, start out as the closer and hold that role the entire time. You know, I just, I don't know. I, I worry about the a one trick pony like Jake McGee, even though he's done it for two years in a row. So Aaron convince me why our Jake McGee pick as our third uh, relief pitcher is going to pay dividends. Okay. Before you know, I, before I, before I convince by me and Aaron, our show's <laughs> getting hijacked. <laughs> before I, before I, before I convince you about Jake McGee, let me talk you off of Camilla Duvall. The guy's faced 109 major league batters in his career. What did he do against the first 50? 20 reach base, nine scored, four hit a homer. He got option to the minors. The last 59, really good. 11 reach base, none scored, 24 struck out. He got three saves. He's got a guy on his team last year who saved 31 games, whose ADP is like 270. He had a 1.93 ERA over his last 48 appearances from May 7th on with 40 Ks and a 186 batting average against. He got 24 out of 28 save opportunities. In his last 80 innings pitch, he's got like a 24.5% K minus BB. Everybody loves K minus BB. 24.5%. He's only given up 6.5 hits per nine. And his ninth inning slash line last year was his career best. 212, 260, 362. Nobody hit him hard. Jake McGee is just a, a, just a good pitcher who did an excellent job as the closer for the Giants last year. And Camilla Duvall had 59 good plate appearances against. I will say, because I know somebody who did a video on this, <laughs> that um, I, yeah, I hear you Aaron, on the, on the brought heat. I hear you oh, on the, on the demo. I hear you on the demotion. Um, and I will say that the video I did on this was just basically all of Greg's research that I put into a video. So uh, if you trust Greg's research, uh, this is what it came down to is, I, I would agree with you more if I if there wasn't such a shift in the in his approach when he came back that he was a little bit less reliant on the on the slider um, was able to go to the fastball more had better command overall but again you know so so I I buy into the fact that it wasn't just one one hot stretch one cold stretch but it does highlight the risk of a two pitch pitcher is if you lose command of one of those pitches, you become far more predictable um, and you become far more hittable. Now, that should also make it so Jake McGee is not effective because he's a one-pitch pitcher. But, you know, we saw this with, you know, Sammy's, one of Sammy's favorite players, Mariano Rivera, who for years I watched him and was like convinced that this season they're going to figure it out. And then the next season is like, this season they're going to figure it out. Because it's just one pitch. And I do not want to make it seem like I'm comparing Jake McGee to Mariano Rivera. That's but slander. I was, say, I was about to say this is blasphemy. But it's <laughs> but just, 
but just the idea that I, I guess, you know, you, you can be Jake McGee um, has a little bit better, better command of the arsenal, which allows him to be more effective with, with limited offerings. Camille Duvall might not have that, that type of command, but to Nate's point, I feel like 166 is, you know, um, a fair price. Like we're not going to get to the guys beneath him right now, but it's a, it's a mess. It's, you know, it, it gets gross. I, I just want to know if, if, if Aaron actually convinced Nate, because Nate asked Aaron to convince me. Nate, did, did Aaron convince you? Well, I mean, it goes back three days ago when we made the draft pick. And if, if I was so adamant against it, it, we wouldn't have made the pick or a good, you know, good team when it comes to that. But no, we, it, here's the thing is, two rounds prior to that, four rounds prior to that, whatever that exact ADP was, if Camilla Duvall had landed back to us, he was on our team. Aaron was well, totally fine because yeah, he understands. They, they, would, they would have both been on They both team. would have been. Right. And that's right. one of the questions that I was going to ask both you guys is when you get to some of these situations, are you comfortable with piggybacking or taking the uh, you know handcuffing, if we want to, some of these closers and getting the second guy, especially if it's in a somewhat volatile, but somewhat uh, linear path. If someone takes the ninth, Sammy. I mean, I, I've always come down. Like I, I don't, it, to me, it all depends on what the, what my roster looks like at the moment and what, uh, what my bullpen situation currently is. So like, if I have two solid guys, I don't have a problem piggybacking um, and, and getting that handcuff. Uh, it all depends on on where I'm getting them. Obviously, we're talking about value here, and mm-hmm. in terms of ADP and what we're getting and what, what our expectations are. So, your roster construction has to be tight. You cannot waste two spots for one closer if that's going to be your second closer. That's going to be just a waste of space at that point. So, it really depends on what my bullpen looks like. Yeah, and I think it's also I'm becoming far more okay with it in the current landscape because I think you're right. just seeing. You know, you can identify teams where you're like, all right, they're not going to give one guy saves. For for a huge portion of last year, I had Paul Seald and, and Kendall Graveman on the same team because the Mariners are, are in games, they're winning games. Those guys are getting me good ratios, wins or saves. Um, and, and then I also had Diego Castillo on my team who then got traded. It was a whole mess. But But the point being, if you are in a league where you're rostering three or maybe even four relievers, it depends on obviously the league types that you're in. I don't think there's any problem with saying, you know, I'm obviously not handcuffing my like Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, Rizel Iglesias, right. guys that have that role. But, you know, if, if I have, um, you know, a clear split situation, I, I don't see a problem with that, especially if it's on a good team. Right. I'm not right. taking like, oh, the Tigers might split saves between Michael Fulmer and Soto. I'm going to grab both of them because mm-hmm. what I mean, I guess maybe the Tigers could be better this year because, you know, they're making some interesting additions. But like, let's just say they're, you know, the Tigers of old. What is that getting you? I mean, you're locking in the Tigers saves. That's mm-hmm. great. Exactly. But you're using two roster spots to do it. If I'm locking in all the saves from the twins or the Red Sox or the Blue Jays, if they split like things like that, then I'm more interested. Who the handcuff matters, who it is matters. Sure. In, in my opinion, if you're going to handcuff 
that that handcuff has to be productive, whether it be delivering uh, a specific category like K's or keeping the ratios pristine. There has to be some form of production from that handcuff. We can't just be chasing a situation. It's like gambling, like chasing ghosts, right? That's all you're chasing the saves. Um, and then you're, you're using up a roster spot. And then you have the situation like Detroit, right? You're playing play one guy and he gets bombed and you're just doing it to get, to get one category. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. So let's make so it actionable then. Let's make it actionable then. We'll, we'll put, we'll put the, uh, our money where our mouth is, or our mouth where our money is. Camilla Duvall at pick 150. And then you have to take Jake McGee hundred picks later at pick 250. And you, and it, you know, if Duvall doesn't walk, doesn't, doesn't work out, or he's not the guy, he's a guy you can put on your bench. If he's not getting the saves in April, right. Stash him away. He gets the job in May, runs away with it and gets, you, you know, 95 K's and another 25 saves from right. May on then, then yeah, man, you slam dunk. But if Jake yeah, McGee absolutely. just runs with the job, like he did last season and gets you 31 saves, you win there too. So I think this is the perfect piggyback situation. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think this situation, if, you know, and I've said this, I remember when I, when I got hater and I just, uh, you know, that first year he, he fully closed and I was looking at the stats and he delivered about 140 strikeouts and about like 90 innings. I mean, like the closers now are delivering such like production in those specific, in specific categories, like having, having certain handcuffs, actually boosts your staff like it's 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 gotten to that point now where the landscape is so wide open that you you can get really good value from these handcuff uh relievers so yeah i mean a, a situation like that certainly would be something that i would be interested in handcuffing for sure nice yeah. the well the, go ahead you were gonna say the one part i'm sorry to drag this on um if like in a situation you were talking about earlier with say Melanson, if the closer that you think could actually be dealt to another team as a contender, you almost have to look at sometimes that secondary closer. But the problem is, is usually these are on bad teams. Like you just said, you, Arizona, I don't want to, I don't want, you know, I mean, any backup, sorry, JB Bukaskis. I, I know it's, <laughs> you're, you can't, but it, that's more DC driven than especially in a 12 team with a, a family, I think as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, some of the handcuff guys we'll have to have you, you both back on when we delve into the, you know, I guess the next 15 relievers at, at some point, since we cut it off at 15 here, but that's where you'll get into like these, they're all imperfect pitchers. So what are you going for? And since Nate alluded to this earlier, we just had an article drop on reliever recon, which kind of mapped out the different ways to build bullpens and who you're taking in this next range depends on who you have before, right? Are you, do you have a ratio buffer? Do you have a saves buffer? And that will determine where you're taking your risk. So, you know, Aaron, you, you mentioned that you're kind of drafting relievers differently than every other position because you really do have to look at it as a, as a grouping um, yeah. because it, it really is like reliever A determines who I take as reliever B which then determines who I take as reliever C because they all have to work together, you know, into some ridiculous power ranger that, you know, becomes a, you know, your bullpen and they have to fit together in the, in the right way. And even on top of that, there, are, if you're in a 12 team league, there's going to be like 36 relievers that are in play, right. That could be in your inactive rosters every week. So you need to just take that group of 36 
and see where you can get your where you can get your advantage. But if you're if you're playing two or three relievers, like you mentioned, putting uh, Ken, having Kendall Graveman and Paul Sewald on your team at the same time, like you can get a significant advantage. You 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 know if if these guys are striking out at the world and you know and they're each of them these teams are on a good team and they're snagging wins left and right. You know you are you are pushing yourself so much further ahead of the competition because you can't compare the relief pitchers to the starters. And you can't, you can't, you know, it's not the same as like a second baseman and a shortstop, you, you know, because competing in the same categories, that saves category makes all the difference. And if you can add, and if you can add some wins to that, if you can add some K's to that, you are separating yourself from the, from your own league mates in important areas like saves and wins. Nicely what said. Um, Aaron, I know you wanted to end with a, with another question. That's not well, we. Yeah, we, we, on our, on our podcast, we always end, we always save the worst for last. Um, and so we, we find something that's, yeah, we find something that's the worst and we talk about the things that's, that are the worst. And so, uh, we're a guest on your show. So Nate and I are not going to answer this question. We're going to leave it to, to you two guys. Uh, cool, what thanks. is the, yeah. What is the worst, um, diet slash exercise program fad that you've ever done or tried and uh and yeah feel free to expand like i crap my pants doing p90x or something like that because nate <laughs> nate, always, nate always tells great stories like that oh, i was like because no nate pressure. crapped his pants doing p90x he may have <laughs> i can't say i've done p90x but uh, uh sammy you got an answer or you want me to go uh i'm gonna say the marine corps that was <laughs> That was the uh, worst diet exercise exercise fad elongated over four years. So yeah, I'm gonna go that way. Thank was you it for the your di- was it the yes. diet portion of it or the exercise portion? It was, of it was the worst? everything. I, I so the exercise, the worst exercise, the exercise fad was, uh, you know, boot camp down in Paris Island uh, at the beginning of the summer. I, oh. I had no clue about South Carolina summers, so it was like you know, like 105, 110 degrees wearing, you know, camo and gear. I lost about 60 pounds in three months. Uh, you know, it was the worst excruciating thing, but like it worked. And then uh, just, you know, you know, MREs and, you know, cafeteria, you know, mess hall stuff was just the worst. You know, that was, that was basically food every day. I, I should, I should not have had you go first because Sammy's like, I was in the Marines and I'm going to be like, I did a juice oh, oh my car, baby. I never, I was, I'm, inspired, I'm inspired by Nate's background. His red, white, and blue, black, and maybe all patriotic again. So I'm like, you know, I pull the card. But it's true. Sammy, Sammy was in the Marines and I did a juice cleanse that I hated once. Um, <laughs> so it was terrible. Sam, Sammy knows, Sammy knows my mom. So my mom uh, is a very typical um, Jewish mother from Queens, uh, really knows how to not so subtly lay on the guilt trips. Um, so I've done my fair share of, you know, dieting and exercise fads and, and things like that, just because, you know, my mom's voice is in my head all the time about whether <laughs> I should eat that or this or whatever. Um, and, you know, they're all you know, I've done the keto thing. I've done the sugar detox thing. I've done, you know, and I've kind of found a a balance between all of that of like, you know, that's the, you know, the college athlete aspect of like, just understanding what is healthy and what isn't um, and trying not to do too much of what's unhealthy, but knowing that I want to live my life. um, And I believe in exercise for the purpose of living my life, not for the purpose of like being an Instagram fitness model. Uh, but the juice cleanse was just, I've never realized how much I like chewing food. 
until like two days and i'd be like have i i haven't chewed anything in two days like i don't understand what my teeth are for and (laughs) it's just it was just it wasn't for me and i get hangry and it was just uh wasn't great mike one of our subscribers uh to the one of our patrons actually gave me this idea he's coming up with a uh with a new diet and exercise fad it's it's called uh, spinach and tomato juice. That's all you eat and drink. And then it's the fidget exercise. So if you just constantly perpetually in motion burning <laughs> calories. So if you fidget and you eat spinach and V8, <laughs> drink V8 juice, this is not, by the way, none of these claims are supported by reliever recon in any way. Um, <laughs> or, or any sort of health or any sort of health organization. Anybody on reliever recon. Um, is the fidgeting a side product of the uh, just eating spinach and tomato juice forever? Yeah, pro- likely. Yeah, likely. Yeah. Yeah. From the lack of from the lack of nutrients in your body. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's like that's like Middle Eastern people just going on the all hummus diet, which is you know a thing. You know. Is it? No, it's not. I wish it was yeah. though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Nate and Sa- and uh, Aaron, before we head out remind people again where they can find your your work what you got coming up anything to to promote patreon.com backslash reliever recon sign up become a patron you can find me uh aaron pags on twitter at fantasy triage i also was a contributor to the fantasy baseball black book this year so make sure you go to amazon and, and get cool. yourself a copy of the of the fantasy baseball black book and uh like aaron said again reliever recon patreon please it's uh i i say it's worth i didn't mean to say please like that like i'm begging for you to sign no, up please, please whatever works please. Whatever. Oh, please. you know please the cost do. of spinach nowadays that shit is expensive <laughs> i can't afford like, how am i gonna get it so uh yeah save uh, me uh, from doing the spinach tomato juice jitter uh diet by subscribing so i have more things to do to keep my myself busy which is more podcasts and more data driven uh analytics and hope and at Nate Markham on Twitter uh, each, each day we get one step closer. Today's day 77, I believe of the lockout. So uh, oh. I know. Well, they're, meet, they're meeting tomorrow. So who, yeah, knows? I can't, who knows? I know. Oh, exactly. I can't wait to hear what happens in the 35 minutes that they do. <laughs> we couldn't cover 15 closers in an hour and right. something they're going to get a CBA done in that same time frame. I, I'm staying optimistic. I'm I a positive go, guy. There we go, Nate. Positive uh, things happen to positive people. Absolutely. Yeah, just put it out in the world. Uh, you can find my stuff on Twitter at Samsky NYC. You can also find uh, some of my writing at Patreon backslash Reliever Recon. Uh, and I'm starting a new series on Twitter where I'm doing little uh, like little 30 second Samolsky sleepers of guys I think are being drafted uh, below their value. I did the first one this week on Alex Kirilov. Um, so those will be coming out um, every week or so. So yeah, check that out. And then uh, Sammy is at believe underscore Sammy. And know the deal. You know no, the deal. I'm watching. Don't follow me. I'm yeah. watching though. He's watching. He doesn't tweet, but he's out there. Just know Sammy's out there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Uh,